Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 4. We'll be reading two different sections. So the first section will be verses 1 through 16, and then the second section will be verses 25 and 26. So Genesis 4, starting with verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And we'll skip down to verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Brian Sorgenfry. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and uh, really thankful you chose to be with us this morning. As we walk through Genesis, our series where we're saying Genesis teaches us the origins, the foundations of what we are to see about God, each other, the world, and how to live in that. And what the passage that Scott read for us, Genesis 4, we're trying to say it gives us a window into faith. And whether you have grown up uh, knowing yourself as a Christian for as long as you can remember, uh, whether you're here kind of as a skeptic trying to figure it out, or whether you don't know why you're here, there's probably some notion that you realize that you've at least heard that if I'm going to have a relationship with the God of the Bible, it has to do with faith. But I want to consider something because I think there is uh, a lot of confusion, we could say, that we have regarding the actual faith that Scripture calls us to. And you can see it in, uh, in the results of an evangelism technique that's kind of common. You might be aware of this, you might not. It's called evangelism explosion. It's been around for years. And it centers on asking two questions to diagnose uh, you. And I'm not commending nor condemning this. Just, it's out there. And the first question is, if you were to die tonight, are you certain that you would be, be in heaven with God? If you say yes, the next question is this. 
okay, then you're standing before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What's the reason you're going to give him? What's interesting is after all these years, the most common response is basically this. Because I've been good or because I believe in Jesus and have tried to follow him or I believe in him with all of my heart, something like that. What I would suggest is fascinating about that is the most common answer actually is planting the hope in something that we have done or even the quality of our belief. Did you hear it? That in other words, everybody has faith. The question is, where's your faith located? And most of us tend to assume what's located in me and something I've done. But see, Genesis 4 is going to show us, I would suggest, we watch Cain and Abel become the first, Cain becomes the first murder in history. It's going to show us the posture of saving faith. But it's going to show it to us by showing us the opposite of saving faith, which is Cain. And I hope you see that Cain doesn't lack faith. No, the opposite of saving faith is that Cain has located his faith in himself. It's self-righteousness. And so as we look at Cain, the opposite of saving faith, I hope that we'll see our hearts and that we are called to faith in the Lord, which is faith in Christ Jesus, which is away from ourselves. So three things. First, faith in its object, faith in anger, and then faith in its result. All right, faith, faith in its object, faith in anger, faith in its result. First, faith in its object. This is by far the longest point, so I'm just giving you that warning so you don't freak out. Uh, all right, if Cain is the opposite of saving faith, he is going to show us the disease of self-righteousness, of pride, or to use the faith term, faith in myself, okay? So let's get a working picture of Cain. I think it'll start to make sense. Pastor named Ricky Jones, and then other commentators start talking about this. It finally made sense of this passage to me. Because if, if you were here the last two weeks, right, we went through Genesis 3. If you flip back in your Bible, you will see that that is when sin enters the world through Adam. It ruins everything. It ruins creation. It ruins our relationship with God. But God makes a promise. Let's talk about this last week. A promise of forgiveness that's going to come through a seed of the woman that's going to be born. There's going to be a champion who's going, to, who's going to crush Satan and begin healing everything. Okay, And Adam and Eve believe that promise, that there's someone that's going to be born of a woman that's going to fix everything. And how does chapter 4 start? Eve gets pregnant. She has a child. Okay, And see, within the text, there are hints that Eve is believing this is the one. This is the champion. This is the one that's finally going to fix everything. This is the one that's going to conquer evil and heal our relationship with God, right? Look at verse 1. She says, with the help of the Lord, he is here. Listen to that optimism. The Lord has helped. The child is here. And then she, she even calls uh, Cain a man. It's the only place in Scripture when, when a child is born that's not referred to as a son or a child, but a man. This is the man. This is the one. And look, Cain fits the bill. If somebody's going to be born of a woman, a champion that's going to, that's going to conquer Satan and heal everything, what, what do we think he's got to be like? He's got to be strong. He's got to do things right. He's got to be independent. He's got to be self-sufficient. And this is Cain. Cain's name literally means the formed one. It, it, it's, it's a name that, that, that means successful and productive. 
And think about this. In chapter 3, if you know this, God curses the ground after sin. And so he says the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles. And what is Cain doing? Cain is working the ground. He is pushing back the curse. He is producing fruit. He's bringing life. Cain is special. Cain is gifted. Cain's the firstborn. He's the favored one. He takes initiative. Cain has it all. He looks the part of the hero. That, that's what I got, you got to see. He certainly looks like it more than Abel does. Abel's name, do you know what it means? It literally means vanity, emptiness. It's vapor. It has the connotation of insignificance. He's small in this passage. He never speaks. He seems weak. And what happens is Cain and Abel, they bring both their offerings to the Lord. Cain brings fruit, which is the work of his hands. And uh, Abel brings sheep, which is the work of his hands. And then verse 4 says this, The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So, so Abel's offering gets God's smile. He receives it. Cain's offering rejected. No smile. What in the world, right? What is going on here? And a lot of ink gets spilled, a lot of guessing. I think it actually becomes clear. The New Testament makes it really clear what we're going to get to. But look at Cain's reaction. This is what I think is so telling. When the Lord rejects Cain's offering, Cain doesn't get sad. He doesn't start kind of having humble questions to God, wondering, wondering what went wrong. He gets angry. I think that's very telling. Why? Because, all right, imagine the scenario that you might have lived through in college. You might have lived through it this week. Um, where you show up, let's say, on a Friday morning class thinking it's like any other day, and all of a sudden you look around and realize everybody else is, is ready for a test, and you had no idea that there was one. Have you ever experienced, I've experienced this one time. And you think, oh gosh, I stayed out late last night, uh, I did tons of stuff, I'm completely unprepared, but you got to wing it, so you give it your best shot, and you know it went poorly. Okay, when you get that test back the next week, and let's say that it, it says a D, What's your kind of reaction? I mean, you're probably sad. You're probably disappointed. But the one thing you're not is angry at the professor, right? Because I kind of deserve this. Okay, but imagine this scenario. Imagine you know the test is coming. You study all week. You're studious. Uh, you take the test. You know that you nail it. And then you get the test back the next week. And you kind of did nail it. But it says you got to do. What's your reaction? Angry furious. Furious at the professor because I don't deserve a D. I did it right. Now, this is Cain's heart. Cain brought an offering, yes, but he was confident that the work of his hands, that what he has done would be worthy of God's acceptance and blessing. Which means what God rejects is not the content of, of Cain's offerings. There's plenty of grain offerings in the Bible that are accepted by God. What God rejects is the posture of his heart. And see, it's what the New Testament makes really clear in Hebrews 11:4, which I think will be on the screen. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. Abel offered by faith. And right, we hear that and we think, okay, okay, got it. So Abel offers his, his, uh, gives his offering believing in God, and Cain must not have believed in God. Cain believed in God. He talked to God. He offered things to God, right? He knew God existed. What's the difference? Cain offered things to God trusting in himself. 
trusting in the work of his hands. Cain believed that his work merited God's blessing. So he comes in arrogant self-sufficiency, not dependent on God's grace and mercy. And Abel, Abel the second born, the weak one, the, the, the insignificant one. Yes, he brings an offering, but he knows it's unworthy. He knows he doesn't have what it's take to merit God's approval. And so he offers it up in trust of God's mercy and grace, and it's received. So look, the difference between Abel and Cain is not, Cain's the bad guy and Abel's the good guy. It's the object of their faith. One offers dependent on God's mercy. The other offers confident in his own, in his own uh, strength. And so I would just end the first long point. Again, this is the longest again. By sending out a warning to us all, right? God's going to come and say, he's going to warn Cain. He's going to say, sin is crouching at your door. It hides. Where does sin hide? Sin does not hide in our failure and weaknesses. Sin hides in our strengths. Because where you and I are going to be tempted to locate our faith in somewhere besides the Lord, it's always going to be in our strengths. We're never tempted to locate our faith in our failures. It's in the things that we're good at, right? So here's the irony. It's the fact that you're here this morning after a massive football game. You showed up at church. You're the good one. I'm the preacher. I'm the good one. The temptation is to locate our faith in that instead of the saving mercy of God. And so first, Cain starts giving us a window into what saving faith looks like by showing us the opposite, that the temptation is to locate our faith in ourselves and in what we do. But then you have faith and anger, okay? Verse five through eight, Cain gets angry. We see the Lord do what he always does. He did this back in chapter three when Adam and Eve sinned. He comes after them. He starts asking them questions. And now he asks uh, Cain a question. Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen, right? This look of disgust, this disappointment. And you can hear the kindness of the Lord. This is what he does. He runs after sinners. But he's, he's getting Cain to assess his anger. Why? Because he wants Cain to understand what's beneath the surface, what's driving him. He wants Cain to trust him rather than for Cain to trust Cain. And so he wants to see that what's driving his anger is his self-sufficiency. It's his confidence in himself. And he's saying, Cain, you're on a dangerous path. Now's an opportunity to trust my mercy. And so the question of anger actually goes out to us. Why are you angry? Because anger always reveals what we care about. That's, there can be good anger and there can be bad anger. But I'm always angry at the thing that threatens whatever, uh, whatever uh, I really care about. And the self-righteous faith, the faith in myself, always produces an anger like Cain that eventually gets angry at God. Why? Because my faith is wrapped up in my performance and me being good enough and, 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 and who I am then I'm always going to imitate Cain, right? On the one hand, when things are going well, I'll be prideful. I have to be, right? Look at my family. Look at my, you know, my health. Look at how well-respected I am. Of course I am. I like read my Bible every day. I, you know, I'm kind to others. I, I pray. I try to do the right thing. I swell in pride. But the anger comes, right? If I locate my faith in myself, the anger comes when things go poorly, and that anger gets pointed at God. Why? Because I've done it right. Why does she get to have the fun and good husband? I'm the one who's done it right. 
Why does, why does she get the job promotion or he get the job promotion and not me? Why is, why is he always noticed and I'm ignored? Because deep down inside there becomes this anger at God that he's not giving me the life that I think I deserve. But look what else uh, happens when we misplace faith, when we put in ourselves. Faith, it doesn't just lead to anger towards God, faith in ourselves. It also leads to anger towards others, right? God lovingly warns Cain. He says, this is the first time, actually, this is the first time sin is used in Scripture. He personifies sin. He says, it's crouching at your door. Watch out. This is going to, this is going to lead to destructive anger towards other people. And, and he is saying, trust me, Cain, trust my mercy. And Cain refuses to trust God's mercy. And instead he invites Abel out into a, into a field. And in the first horrific act of violence, he murders him. Of course he did. Because Abel was blocking Cain's sense of righteousness. Abel was blocking Cain's sense of worthiness in what he had done. Because Cain thinks, well, my goodness, my accomplishments, that's what makes me good. And little Abel, when his offering is accepted, but Cain's is rejected, you see what happens. Cain either has to admit his own worthiness, has to admit that he needs God's grace, needs God's mercy, or he has to get rid of Abel. And he gets rid of Abel. And this is what we do. This is what faith and self does. I, look, I've told this story before, but when I was in college some 20 plus years ago now, my freshman year, there was a guy who showed up on campus who remained unnamed to protect the innocent. We'll call him Sam. And here's what Sam was like. Sam was uh, really good looking. Uh, Sam was pretty athletic, would always play intramural sports. Um, lots of the girls liked him. I think, he was even, I think he was even good at the guitar, right? That happens a lot. Uh, he, um, he was funny. Everybody kind of wanted him at their party. He was really involved with RUF, like loved Jesus, led Bible studies. Uh, he was kind of the person everybody wanted around. And I hated him. <laughs> and the reason I hated him was he had everything that I wanted. He had everything that I was striving for to make it feel like I mattered. And so I didn't like him. And so, no, thankfully, you know, it, did, it didn't, didn't lead to murder. <laughs> however... However, I'm, I'm glad that you're laughing because I think it means you know what's going on. It did lead for me to dismiss him in all kinds of ways. I got rid of him. I got rid of him by relishing any kind of negative information I'd hear about him and I'd pass it on to others, right? I would dismiss him through envy and jealousy, which is just saying I wish I had what he had, so I wish he was gone. Uh, I'd get rid of him sometimes just through cold shoulders and ignoring him. Because at that moment, I had a choice. I can either repent... <laughs> which is a trust of God and trust his grace, or I've got to get rid of Sam. And so I tried to get rid of Sam. And so kindness, faith and self always leads to anger, anger eventually with God, but also anger towards other people because they're threats. But saving faith, the faith that brings life, because it's not, it's not about my performance, it's not about me, but it's in the Lord and His grace. It's actually wrapped up, and we're going to talk more about this, in the fact that God became a man and died on a cross for my sin. He took the wrath of God in my place. It destroys pride. And it starts to zap the anger, the selfish anger, because how can I feel superior to anyone? I can't. The Lord of this universe had to die for me. And so... We've seen the object of the faith matters. Cain shows us that we'll be located in ourselves. Our saving faith looks away from self to God. 
and that it leads to anger with God and anger with others. But then there's a result of, of faith. This, this kind of faith always produces, right? Cain shows himself to be in kind of cahoots with sin, uh, with darkness, and then he's becoming more and more like the serpent, Satan himself, and he's a murderer. And what does God do? This is fascinating. God comes after him again. God comes after him again and asks him questions. He's still calling Cain to trust him. He still loves Cain. He's saying, come, confess, and repent. But Cain lies, right? He says, where's your brother? He lies. says, I don't know. And then he gives this sneering remark, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that is always supposed to be yes. And he kind of mocks God, and God comes closer and says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out. I've heard it. He said, I've heard the cry of your brother's bloodshed. It's calling out to me for justice. God sees it. God's angry at sin. It calls for justice. And in his goodness, he punishes Cain. But here's what's so revealing. Here's kind of the, the, the result of a faith in self. Did you see Cain's response? He says, this punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away. Whoever finds me will kill me. Isn't that interesting? The result of Cain's self-righteousness of locating faith in myself and my performance, the result is that Cain's chief concern is the consequences of his sin, of how this is going to mess his life up, of what other people are going to think now. The result of Cain's self-righteousness is remorse, but it's not repentance. Because repentance would actually turn to God. But he, he just looks at himself. So again, I used, back in the day when I did campus ministry, right, which is like three months ago. Um, uh, you're in these conversations all the time about dating and they're fun. And you get to observe a lot of dating relationships. And surely you've seen something like this, right? There would be, and I'm just look, picking guy and girl, either one can do this, right? The guy um, ends up just, I don't know, whatever, just kind of being a jerk to his girlfriend, kind of ignores her, doesn't pay attention to her, kind of a jerk. And, you know, her friends start talking, saying, hey, why are you dating this guy, blah, blah, blah. And so she threatens to break up with him. And the moment that she threatens to break up with him, all of a sudden he gets really apologetic. Oh, I'm so sorry. And he kind of changes. He starts being caring again, kind, for about a month until he gets her back. And then he returns. Why? Because it wasn't repentance, it was remorse. He was scared of the con- he was scared he was going to lose a good thing. And see, that's completely different. That's the faith of Cain. The faith of Cain always re- it resorts in wor- it can- the result is worldly sorrow, not repentance. Because if I'm trusting in my goodness and my morality, then when I get caught, when I'm exposed to falling short, yes, there's sorrow, but what I'm really concerned about is me. Oh gosh, this made me look bad. What are other people going to think? Others will think less of me. I, even the person that can't get over, get over the fact that I've done these bad things, you realize the focus is still me. But saving faith leads to repentance towards God, towards his mercy. It's not about me anymore. And so I'm going to start bringing this to a close. I, I think chapter four is incredibly heavy. It's supposed to be. It's dark. It focuses on Cain who is the first one. Cain's the first one born into a sinful world. He's the first one born with a twisted heart. And he keeps focusing on the way that he responds to the Lord. And again and again, that when God makes promises and when God comes near with his grace, he keeps responding with a posture of self-righteousness. Which means, think about this, in the record of scripture, 
God wants his first hearers and us to hear and see that the tendency of our heart is to locate our faith in ourselves, in our own efforts. That's, that's how we avoid God. And that becomes a path, that pathway of distrust and anger, it leads to remorse and wandering and being alone. And so Cain is not the first person in, to sin in the world. But you know what Cain is? He's the first person that we see to refuse God, God's mercy. As God keeps drawing near again and again, he keeps refusing God's mercy because he will not take the posture of humility. He will not take the posture of weakness. He will not receive grace. He can't get past the worthiness or unworthiness of his own efforts. And so he cannot locate his, his faith in the mercy of God. So I realize I'm about to use a second illustration about myself, which makes me feel like Cain. I feel like I'm putting myself out there. Uh, but this one, again, puts me in a bad light. I can remember... This is probably like a decade ago. Somewhat uh, new in, uh, you know, in ministry as a pastor, I remember sitting with a mentor of mine, another pastor, and I'd kind of gotten paralyzed even about speaking in front of people. And the reason I'd gotten paralyzed in speaking in front of people is because I'd started realizing the motives of my heart. And I finally looked at this pastor friend of mine and said, look, here's where I am. I no longer know, I don't know if I... <laughs> If I'm actually a pastor because I love Jesus and I love other people, or actually I've begun to think, I think I'm a pastor because I love for people to listen to me. I love a place of authority. I love feeling important. I love to be seen. And it really started messing with me. And I remember asking this, this mentor, like, I honestly didn't know what he was going to say. And he looked, he said, you know the answer, right? The answer is the second. Of course your motives are mixed. Of course, of course you're being a pastor in some ways because you just love the way that it makes you feel. Of course. But then he said this. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? You cry out for mercy. That's what it's always been about. You put your faith in the grace of God that draws near to helpless sinners, to self-righteous people. And that's where I want to wrap up this morning. If, you, if this morning you realize you're more like Cain than you thought, yes, that's the sign of God working. Run with that. Admit your failure. For the first time or the thousandth time, embrace weakness and go to Jesus. You see, the chapter ends, right, where another child comes. His name is Seth, who's the replacement of Abel. And then Abel has a child, I mean, then Seth has a child named Enosh. Do you know what Enosh means? It means weakness. Isn't that interesting? Weakness. And it is going to be through Seth and through Enosh that, that a seed is born and his name is Jesus, the real champion, the one who's going to right all the wrongs, the one who's going to crush Satan, the one who's going to bring real forgiveness and restoration because he's going to live a perfect life on our behalf and he's going to die on a cross on our behalf, which is why Hebrews 12, which we read uh, in our assurance of pardon, says that Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, his sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why? Because when Abel's blood was spilt, it cries out for justice. But when Jesus' innocent blood is spilt, you know what it cries out? It cries out for grace. Grace for you and for me. And it frees us to come empty-handed. To come, yes, offering things to God, but offering wholly dependent on him. Trusting not in myself, but in Christ. And so I'll end with this. This is uh, 
few years ago, there's an uh, Olympic cyc- cyclist named uh, Kelly Catlin. And tragically, she ended up taking her life at uh, the age of 23. This is her second or third attempt at suicide. So as her family tried to kind of grapple of what was going on with her, uh, trying to see if, you know, was it a concussion? Was it because she grew up always this kind of, you know, glorified athlete? What was going on? And, you know, there's never a simple reason. But what's very interesting is her sister, her younger sister, when, uh, when they buried her, she slipped a note into her coffin. And what the note said is this, Kelly, if I could trade my life for yours, I would. I love you, listen to this, without all your accomplishments. And I just think there's something about that that we need to hear. Because normally kind of what it ends up being said is, hey, Christianity means you're saved by faith, not works. That's actually not completely true. You're actually saved by works. It's just not your work. It's the work of Jesus his righteousness, his death. And so saving faith looks away from my works and trusts in him, which is the vehicle that you can know, hey, God loves you without all your accomplishments. God loves you with all your failure because you're wrapped up in him. The blood of Jesus is crying out this morning. It speaks a better word than than Abel's blood because it's offering grace and mercy. That's an invitation. Will you receive it? Let's pray. Lord, we come. We come praying. We come asking. We come trusting uh, that you would, for the first time or the thousandth time this morning, uh, take our faith off ourselves and place it onto you, Jesus, a Savior, a champion, the author and protector of faith. That would be a gift from you uh, if we could receive that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.